Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks and I'm joined by the 49ers to my Chiefs. It's Justin Peach. Good day to you, Ryan. I went with that as the intro, even though I have no idea who's better out of the two. You're an NFL nerd, Justin. Can you help me out here? I'm an NFL nerd. I'm not quite an NFL nerd. I follow it loosely, like everybody else in the UK when it's that time of year. You stayed up for it last year, didn't you? This yeah. time last year? Yeah, I went to... Um, I went to a bar in Nottingham to watch it and had a few drinks because if I remember rightly, you were travelling back from Australia and I then had to record New Zealand, you know what I mean, the Southern Hemisphere, and I had to record uh, semi-inebriated. Yes, that that was a great show, (laughs) let's just say that. (laughs) Me recording at, you know, after travelling for 24 hours on a flight while you were recording at three o'clock in the morning Mm. and, as you say, slightly pissed. Um, But, you know, are you excited for the Super Bowl tonight, Justin? I didn't even realise it was on until about 24 hours ago. Um, No, I'm not that excited by it. Not this year. I don't know why. I think it's because it's the Chiefs and it it feels a bit like Man City dominating a little bit. Um, Mm. Yeah, it just gets a bit bit tedious. I want want a team that's never been in there so we can really get behind an underdog and, you know, the 49ers are they're pretty decent themselves as well. If I think, if I if I know, if I know NFL as well as I do, which one does Taylor Swift's hubby play for? The Chiefs. So you don't Chiefs. want you don't want the Chiefs to win because you know Taylor Swift's going to get a flight back home <laughs> and just intoxicate the the uh, the atmosphere with a oh, exuberance. Yeah, she's been on my Twitter timeline a hell yeah. of a lot recently, and I don't really know why. Um, but, you know, I, I like Taylor Swift, so I, I'm supporting the Chiefs. Let's go Chiefs. But you can't like Taylor Swift because she, she gets in a plane to go and get a pint of milk. Yes, there is that as well. So who's the real winner here? I don't know. But i tell you who is the real winner, actually. It's the Championship, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Number One Championship Podcast, the second tier. Thank you for joining us wherever you are. I mean, I, I say the championship's the winner. We're the winner, the supporters, because this has been a cracking weekend of championship action, hasn't it? I mean, we'll get on to the game at St. Mary's very shortly, but we've got that. There was a great game at Portman Road as well. And also, what the hell is going on at Stoke? It seems to be going <laughs> yeah. from bad to worse to an absolute dumpster fire there, doesn't it? So that's all coming up in the show, ladies and gentlemen. We'll also finish up with the polls and Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight as well. So let's kick things off with Southampton 5, Huddersfield 3. Stones's three-word review for Southampton, never in doubt. Le Tiserabler says, survived Peachy's curse. 
an unbelievable game. It had the lot, didn't it? Goals, worldies, own goals. And perhaps the craziest thing about the game is Southampton didn't lead any point until the 84th <laughs> minute. So it looked for a long time like we were going to see one of the upsets of the season. But just and I'm just going to dip into my big bag of cliches. A great advert for the championship. It really was. Maybe not for defending. I imagine if mid-2000s Italian defenders were watching that back, they'll be cursing <laughs> Yeah, in Italian, a mamma mia sort of thing. Uh, like if Nesta's watching it, he'd be fuming. I have no idea why an Italian defensive legend would be watching a second-tier game. But hey, 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 Roberto Carlos watches the championship. Do you remember that? That is true. That is true. Even better if he listens to the podcast. Very yeah. much doubt it. Um, but we can hope. We can hope. But as <laughs> I say, yeah, great advert for the championship. We're not defending. Defending. But and I also imagine that a lot of a lot of people in the ground aged quite considerably during that period because it was just a pulsating game to follow on sofa score let alone being in the ground and the drama unfolding right before your eyes yeah yeah it, it was a cracker an absolute cracker and you know i've watched it back since and even though i knew yeah. what the score was in hindsight um it was still just an enthralling watch and i mean we had eight goals the pick of the goals undoubtedly Justin, talk to me through that Joe Rothwell volley. Oh. That was unreal. I had to take myself to a dark room after seeing that. I then, <laughs> I then went back to the dark room after I saw several different angles from fan footage of that goal. Honest to God. Um, look, I, I know we can I know we can run with it quite often, but when we see a special goal, we have got to just sit back and go. That might be goal of the season. And we've seen a few. Wes Burns' Traveller, Ryan Hedges against Watford with his with his keepy uppies. There have been some some astounding goals this season. But as far as far as an aesthetically pleasing volley, full volley goes, mm. that that is up that well that that yeah, that is up there. And again, gotta put it in consideration for goal of the season, especially with the different angles. Makes it better. Yeah. The angles are not doing it. Um, any problems at all is no. it? it's just only helping its cause I mean the technique is just out of this world to hit across the ball like that and arrow it into the top corner it was absolutely filthy it's something us mere mortals can only dream mm -hmm. about being able to produce because even thinking about trying something like that just seems so alien to me and <laughs> I mean to actually do it as well is insane it's it has made me wonder as well whether to reopen the conversation about goal of the season I thought Wes Burns's Traveller had that wrapped up and I always said it was going to take something pretty special to match it this was pretty special it's going to be a, it's going to be a heated debate once we get around to the second tier awards the most important awards of the season at the end of the mm. at the end of the current campaign it, it's going to be it's going to be hard beating them but I think last season it was quite an obvious one with Brad Potts and his scissor kick against Luton. You know, there might have been yes. some other contenders, but that that volley from Rothwell is just unreal. And then obviously the Travella from West Burns. It's going to be a difficult one to separate, but it's going to be an interesting debate because I feel like we should dedicate an entire episode to it. We won't do, but I feel like we could because it's going to yeah. be so good just um, yeah, dissecting, dissecting both of them. It's going to be fun at the end of the season just watching back these two goals over and over again, isn't it? And trying to figure out... But nothing else matters. No, nothing else yes. is going to come into it, is it? It's going to be so... It's got to be a, an even more special goal than the both, but, uh, than, uh, than the two that we've seen. Um, it's, it's, it's going to be nearly impossible to, uh, to get near it. 
mate, if it happens, then I'm all for it. Um, speaking of incredible goals, an honourable mention for Alex Matos' goal for Huddersfield. It takes quite an ambitious shot from quite a way out, but it takes the most fortunate deflection, loops about 50 feet in the air and goes over the keeper's head. And to be fair, the keeper wasn't even that far off his line. It was just one of them where it's gone exactly where... Southampton didn't want it to go and it was pure luck but I found it thoroughly enjoyable as well but this win makes it 22 league games unbeaten for Southampton they've won 54 points from an available 66 do you Justin Peach get any sense that a we're near the end of this streak or b them slowing down or is this just going to carry on forever I think this might be as close as they've come in those in those games to losing the streak because Huddersfield were really good here and we'll give them their flowers at some point. But yeah, this is as close as they've been. To to, to go 2-0 down, you're thinking it's going to be hard to overturn. Um, and then they bring it back and you think, okay, momentum swinging with Southampton. And then they go 3-2 down and you're like, okay, it's not going to be their day. But then they, they but then they turn it around and they push on and they keep pushing on. And that's a very difficult thing to do. And I think Russell Martin deserves a lot of credit for for doing that, especially in the second half, for turning things around. And the players deserve credit for tapping into their own abilities because you can become complacent. You can become a bit tippy-tappy, sideways passing when you are coasting. Uh, and, and also when you are when you are down, it can be a difficult thing to break, break a, an opposition side down. But um, yeah, Southampton did that and they needed a special special couple of goals they got one from from Rothwell to get them to get them back into it and they took charge of that momentum and and, and pushed on I think previous Russell Martin teams probably would have got back into the game at most got it back to 2-2 two, two at, at the very most let alone from recover from the setbacks they did so yeah the, the chances of Southampton slowing down at this point it's hard to see it because as I say the, the momentum that they can gain from this comeback massive well, it's an astonishing bit of form in the first place, isn't it? Let alone coming back from, well, twice coming from a goal down uh, in this case of this game. But the frightening thing is they seem to have just got better and better. And in the last nine league games, they've scored 27 goals and conceded six. And keep in mind, three of them came in this one game against Huddersfield. So, I mean, this absolutely blew my mind earlier, Justin. And I know XG isn't everyone's cup of tea, but it's a valid point. In this 22 league game unbeaten run, they've only had three games where they've conceded an XG of more than one. Mm. So it's by and large been complete and utter domination from Southampton. And they've just been moving through the gears during this run. And uh, rightly second right now, the streak has got to end at some point, though. So it's about how they respond to that happening, really, isn't it? Yes, yes, and no. I think this is a this is might be a bit of a wake up call. I mean, Huddersfield have been really impressive in the last two games. If you're counting this one as well, so it was going to be a difficult one, as you alluded to as well in that previous episode. You were you were suggesting that Huddersfield might get a result here, and you were worried about it, and it was close. Mm. Um, and that's because Huddersfield are a good side, but also Southampton have been unbeaten for so long that at some point this run has got to come to an end. Um, but I'll say it, I'll bang this drummer a million times, uh, a many times over. You learn. And it's very obvious, managers will learn a lot more from their defeats than they would from their wins. But actually, I think this is as close to a defeat as you can get for, for Southampton. I think Martin will take a lot from it. And I think they will go again. I think that's the scary thing. He's good. He's, he seems to have that bite and mentality to go again, um, which I've not, we've not really seen so far in his career. So I think that's going to be the big thing for Southampton. 
by the way, it's Leeds v Southampton on the final day. <laughs> and that game is looking more and more massive as the weeks go by. A great showing by Huddersfield, though, Justin. As you have been saying, on the face of it, not a great weekend because QPR have made ground on them, as have Wednesday. But if they play like this more often, they should stay up, shouldn't they? Yeah, they should do, and I think that's what their points cushion is 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 helping for. Because they're not gonna they're not gonna always beat the the big teams, are they? Um, most teams will struggle to get results against Ipswich, Leicester, Southampton, uh, and Leeds. But if you play like this more often, yeah, you you can generate enough momentum. And as I say, the last two games have been impressive, and it's probably more of what the ownership is asking for in terms of pressing and playing higher up the pitch and there's plenty of character being shown as well the effort was there they were up against so much quality from Southampton so the efforts to maintain the drive and the press just weren't there but how often are they going to come up against the side of Southampton's quality for the rest of the season yeah. not often yeah. um, scored seven goals in the last two games as well which is a big thing Josh Cromer looks like he's got his mojo back as well so I think those those aspects are among among more, um, yeah. I think Huddersfield are, are in a, are in a good place at the moment. Strangely, because they don't even have a manager. Well, Huddersfield, uh, Sorba Thomas as well has been yeah. cracking for yeah, He's been really, really good in recent weeks. Uh, but yeah, you're right. The caretaker boss John Worthington has done brilliantly in very difficult circumstances, by the way, because mm-hmm. all of the first team coaching staff left with Darren Moore. So he's had to essentially start afresh in that respect. And he's overseen a 4-0 battering of Sheffield Wednesday in a relegation six-pointer and given one of the best teams in the division a right old scare. And if there wasn't survival at stake, dare I say he may get the job. But I don't think he will just because there is quite a lot at stake. But whatever the case, he's shown what this Huddersfield squad is capable of. It's up to the new manager to get it out of them on a regular basis. That new manager might not be Michael Duff. According to reports, apparently the new owner Kevin Nagel wants a new boss to live locally. And with Duff currently living in the southwest with his family following the Swansea job, he may have to relocate if he does want to get the Huddersfield job. So it'll be interesting to see whether he does that. But it's not something you really think about as a fan, is it? I mean, managers having to move halfway across the country for their job, which could potentially only last a matter of months. Yeah, I mean, there's a human side of it that we never really talk about, ever. Um, I think mm. Gary Rowett's a good example because he was spending a lot of time away from his family. I think he's based sort of middle of the country, Staffordshire away. And he's he was near us, just in Derby. Yeah, exactly. And he's you know very far away from Millwall, so it's a very difficult balance to, to strike. And it's, you know, family time's important for anybody, let alone a, a manager who has probably one of the most stressful jobs possible. Um, so yeah, living away from your family could get quite difficult. So I, I understand it from Dust's perspective, but also I think, you know, if, you, if you've got ambitions to be a manager, then maybe you need a little bit of flexibility. I sort of get it from Kevin Kevin Nagel's perspective that he wants a manager to be local, but at the same time, if you want, if there's a good manager out there, go and get them. Yeah, well, they've apparently been speaking to foreign managers as well about the role. So it'll be them. interesting to see where they go about. But, you know, a foreign manager would have to obviously move, whereas Duff may think, oh, could I possibly commute from the southwest? And I mean, the southwest is a pretty bad place to live in as a manager with regards to how many clubs there are down there, because obviously you haven't got any in Cornwall. You've only got a handful in Devon. You know, it's not it's not an yeah, ideal the, location to put yourself in, is it? The, Br- the Bristol clubs, Cardiff's close, obviously Swansea as well. Um, yeah, don't know how far away you, away you are from like the Oxfords and the Leic- uh, Leicesters, the Reddings. So yeah. Yeah. still quite still quite a, it's a distance. It's so a distance. That's what I mean. So you've only got 
a, a handful of clubs really who you could realistically mm. get if you want to base yourself in the southwest so yeah maybe get on a maybe look on right move michael and um, 90 second minute winner um, 90 second minute equalizer rather from amari hutchinson saw ipswich draw 2-2 at home to west brom a huge game in the promotion race um one which potentially could be a playoff game in three months' time, by the way. And we retreated to an enthralling contest, Justin, because this was another great game. It was just great because Ipswich should have scored about six, but were missing so many chances. And West Brom looked like they could score every time they went forward. It was just great fun up until the last minute. I had absolutely no idea what the result was mm-hmm. going to be. Um, but could that late equaliser be a turning point for Ipswich Town, Justin? It is just one win in nine after this. But things like that could give them a lot of belief, couldn't they? It should do, it should do. It's such an interesting one. I mean, I'll, I'll stand by my point of it being a good time to play Ipswich. Obviously, one win in nine um, backside up, but I just feel like they're playing with a bit of a soft underbelly at the moment. Um, I mean, that endeavour to get back into games is there, but it's there too often. You know, you need to have more control over games. You need to be a little, more, uh, be a little bit more defensive resilient. Um, and, and to be to the point, they, they did create the better chances and I think the equaliser was inevitable. I also think if there was an extra five minutes, they probably could have found or probably would have found the winner as well because I think McKenna made those changes in the game that worked. And West Brom were a difficult team to break down. So I think if Ipswich and McKenna can come away from that game and say, yeah, we had a go, we tried, we learned our lessons and we move on, then it's then it's a great thing. So I think that's the only, point, uh, the only suggestion I would make if it is going to be a turning point. You need to take a lot of lessons from that game because West Brom didn't create a lot but they looked threatening every time they went forward. Yeah. And if you're in that position as a, as a team, there are a lot of uh, a lot of weaknesses you need to work on and they're not being worked on. And that's a, that's a bit of a concern for me. Well, Ipswich have won more points from losing positions than any other team in the division. But a large part of that is down to them conceding, so, conceding first so often. But I think this is a turning point for Ipswich. And I'll tell you why. If you have a look at the underlying data from recent games, they've actually been playing well. They've just not had the luck go their way. A perfect example of that is the Preston game last weekend where they let in a deflected goal for miles out and then score an own goal shortly after, which was offside anyway. And against West Brom, they had so many chances, but just couldn't put them away. And then their luck changes with that equaliser, which probably would have been cleared off the line had the goalkeeper not parried it away from the defender. And... I think believing that your look is finally changing will be such a big thing for the mindset of the Ipswich players. And if you look at it now, the next nine games are all against sides in the bottom half of the table. So if there's ever going to be a time for them to get back on track, it's now. And who knows? Maybe they'll do something similar to last season and win 41 points from the last available 45, Justin. I wouldn't completely rule it out, but I think... Well, if they're going to finish second, then that's the kind of form they need to find, isn't it, really? Well, absolutely spot on. I will, I will allude to the fact that they, they were beaten at home by Maidstone United, who are a seventh or eighth tier side. So yes, just you can't take anything for granted as a football hang team. Hang on, hang on. That was essentially Ipswich's B team, though. And also, <laughs> we've all seen the data from that game. It was yeah. pretty one-sided. I'm just trying to play devil's advocate to the point you're making, but I do I do see it. But And as I say, like, the time to put a run together is now. You've been in poor form for the last nine games. Hit the nine, next nine games hard and learn the lessons. Because as I say, you're going behind often in games. You're having to turn around results and performances quickly. It's quite a taxing thing for players. It's mentally, it's draining, it's difficult, and the atmospheres in, in, in the ground can sometimes turn as well. I'm not saying it does. The Ipswich crowd are brilliant at creating a great atmosphere, but too many mistakes are being made. 
and uh, on the pitch that is too many mistakes being made uh, and they're not being uh, not being learned from I sort of clumsily put that together but you get the point yeah well that these mistakes can be ironed out justin and uh, you know but they haven't be, they haven't been ironed out all season yeah but that's what that's where a turning point comes into it doesn't it and i mean you say all season they were second in the table up until two weeks ago so you're acting like it's a big dramatic you know shambles at Ipswich when it's really not that at all and you know hopefully this will give them belief and make it a really interesting final few months of the championship season with the automatic promotion race but let's give West Brom their flowers Justin a brilliant away performance by them and it feels like they're really nailing down fifth place doesn't it I said not too long ago that I would be surprised if West Brom weren't in the playoffs come May and my mind's not changed on that. Has yours at all? Not at all, not at all. I know they didn't come away with three points here, but there was enough in that as an away performance. I mean, you expect a home side to dominate anyway when you're going away from home. And West Brom's away form isn't very good. Uh, and I think on the balance of chances, Ipswich probably deserved to win, but I think that's just West Brom's game plan. They know what they're going to come up against. Alex Palmer had to produce some really tidy saves, but they did exactly what you expect them to do. And more often than not, it works. And it nearly worked in this game. They hard, they were hard to break down. They took their chances. I mean, John Swift's goal sort of took everybody by surprise, took me by surprise, took the commentators by surprise. It just came out of nowhere. Well, that's what it felt like. And you know, they were minutes away from being just a second team to take all all the points away from Portman Road. And that's a big thing. That's a big thing. And if you can hold your hands up and go, fair enough, we, we did our best. We, we move on to the next one. Um, then, yeah, they, they will they will gather that momentum going forward. They're in a good place, West Brom. And we, we've praised Corbyn a hell of a lot. And that performance against Ipswich, you know, really sort of convinced me that actually, yeah, they've got the longevity to stay in that top six. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, the reason I think they've had the longevity is because they're just very consistent, mm-hmm. aren't they? You look at the results they've had this season. There hasn't been a mad unbeaten run or a long winning streak in there, yep. which is kind of masking over a poor run of form. I mean, the most games they've won in a row this season is three, mm. which goes to show my point just then. But they haven't at any point dipped, really, have they? Yeah. They've just been ticking over nicely all season, been rock solid and been very hard to beat. And they've been like that all season. At no point have they really looked like going off the boil. And I thought they might be the most affected in the championship by AFCON after losing Sammy Ajayi and Grady Dean Garner. Two players have been really good for them this season, but it's just not happened. And we spoke about it on Thursday. A large percentage of their success this season is down to the unbelievable work of Carlos Corbran. And he's just made them better than the sum of their parts. And it really is a brilliant job that he's doing. And I don't think it can get praised, get praised enough by us on this show. But there was a blow for the baggies in this. Daryl DK left the pitch in tears after picking up another injury. Corbran confirmed that it was his Achilles again, which ruled him out for nine months before his return a month ago. And Justin, I felt so sorry for him as he was going off. It was absolutely heartbreaking seeing him welling up. He must be one of the most unluckiest men in football, mustn't he? Because he just can't stay fit. I was going to say with with an Achilles as well, like it can happen to anybody. Um, And it's, it's, it's a difficult one to recover from recover from like, you know he's had shoulder and thigh problems in the past and you know that can be down to fatigue and all sorts and but Achilles it, it can go and as I say it's, it's so incredibly unlucky I think it's his fifth serious injury in three years as well and you know to, 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 to go back to when he joined Barnsley originally and he burst onto the scene was incredible everyone expected him to kick on and unfortunately injuries have, have held him back and I think as well him being so young he's not even he's not in his prime yet 
um, it's just disappointing not to be able to see that and it's disappointing for him as well um, good for him and I hope it's not as serious as it as his previous injury but yeah it's just devastating yeah well th- this is a mind-blowing stat Justin he joined West Brom 771 days ago and he's missed 415 days through injury and the crazy thing is according to Transfermarkt he had only missed five days through injury before moving to West Brom which is which is insane. I, I, I don't know. I don't keep track of how he was doing at Orlando City before, but when he was at Barnsley, he didn't really get injured, no. did he? He was playing pretty much every game. It's only since joining West Brom that he's become this guy who can't stay out of the treatment room, and he's such a talented footballer. We saw it at Barnsley. We've seen glimpses of it at West Brom when he has been fit, and I mean, after all, there was a reason why they spent seven million on him, seven million on him in the first place. But this is a twenty-three-year-old lad whose career is being destroyed by injury. It's incredibly sad. And I just hope when he comes back, he can stave off those injuries and have a good career. But, you know, the Omens haven't been good so far in the last, what is it? He's been there for two years now at West Brom, hasn't he? And he's Mm. just not had any luck go his way at all. One final note on this game. I enjoyed Andy Vyman going for a hand of God attempt. He realised he wasn't going to get on the end of the cross, so punched in for a moment. I thought that was easy to head that, by the way. I thought I it was easy to head so. it. No, just... I think if he threw himself at it, the best case scenario was he'd get his head on it, but he wouldn't be able to have enough on it to direct it into goal. But I, I just thought he might get away with it. And for a moment, I thought he did get yeah. away with it. Yeah. But imagine thinking, Justin, you'd be able to get away with handballing the ball into your own net. That, that brings me seamlessly onto Leeds 3, Rotherham nil. Justin, how on earth has Patrick Bamford got away with handballing the ball into the net. It's clear as day. Patrick Hanford, that's what they say. Doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it. But you are right, it is, it is clear as day. And you do feel for Rotherham because he'd been on the uh, the arena some stinking decisions. But yeah, this was, a, this was a bad one. But look, Andy Varman walked so Bamford could run. He clearly he clearly watched the game. Um, he clearly watched the West Brom Ipswich game to, to, to see if he could replicate that. And and, and he did. And he, and he pulled it off as well. So um Hmm. Yeah. Look, it's it's a form of cheating. I won't lie, and it and it should have been pulled up. <laughs> but there's a little bit of admiration for getting away with it as well. But to be fair to the referee, from his position, I can perhaps understand why he may not have seen it because it looks like Bamford's body may have been in the way. But surely the assistant must have spotted it. I mean, if you look at it from this perspective, the ball's gone across Bamford, and the only way he could have touched it with his outstretched is with his outstretched arm mm-hmm. and then he's Radoff celebrated so I mean his celebration as well he was pointing his elbow <laughs> at the crowd once he? so he just didn't give a shit but it, wow. it's an absolute clangor from the officials and it may not have had a dramatic effect on the game because I suspect Leeds would have still gone on to win very comfortably but in terms of isolated incidents it's got to be the worst decision of the season hasn't it and it feels a bit ridiculous saying that because we seem to have a different contender every single week Justin yeah it, uh, it's you know, don't want to get drawn into what's been the worst decision of the season um, but it, it but it was a bad one I mean you only got to credit the um, the linesman in the Ipswich West Brom game for spotting the Vyman one because I didn't spot that um, yeah. initially and I don't think the referee did and, and they are in, I think they are, incredi- they are incredibly difficult to spot as as uh, you know, Diego Maradona found out all those years ago, they are they are very very difficult to spot. Um, so credits to the linesman in the Ipswich game. I just think it's one of them that sometimes they can be easy to miss. I'm not saying Bamford's was easy to miss or or hard to miss, um, but 
there is sympathy for the officials with those. That's why a little bit of little thing called VAR may help. Well, that that's your stance. I th- the only thing I would add, and we'll move on very quickly, is it's not even like the Vimer one where his hand is near his head. His elbow is so yes, far away yes, from his it body. Is. It's just so obvious. Um, but let's give Leeds some praise because Darren's three-word review for Leeds not going away. And they've now gone 18 games unbeaten at home. And it's the first time they've done that since 1974. Back in the days of Don Revy, Justin. Six league wins in a row. And in that run, they've only conceded once. Once in six games. That is remarkable, isn't it? And Joe Roden, Ethan Ampadu at centre-half. It's being called the Welsh Wall. And what a wall it's turning out to be as well, Justin. It's not surprising because they're full of quality, but Daniel Farkas teams do tend to peak in the second half of the season. Say Daniel Farkas teams, his Norwich team tended to peak in the second half of the season. They were always good in the first half of the season, but they really hit their ground running in the second half of the season. And we're seeing that with Leeds, and that's what I expected to happen, um, especially with the you know, significant amount of unrest in the summer, turnover in the squad, and Daniel Farkas getting to grips with the squad, and we're seeing it. I mean, even Ampadu dropping into the back four, I don't think it's a particularly dominating, um, aerially dominating um, back four, but they're so good with the ball, they're so composed, um, and that sort of back, that is backed up with the um, defensive stats you mentioned in terms of conceding once in the last six, seven games. It's been an incredible run of form, an incredible run of uh, games, and but it's not surprising because they're full of quality, they're full of endeavour, um, and yeah, they're, they're now they're now peaking at the the right time. Yeah, well, Joe Roden's been unbelievable all season. I I would even go as far to say, actually, he's probably been Leeds' best player, aside from Crescencio Somerville, of course. And Ethan Ampadu's mainly been in midfield all season, but has dropped back into defence after Pascal Stroik got injured and has been sublime. But, you know, these two know each other from international duty with Wales, don't they? And that relationship is clearly working a treat in this circumstance. But the fullbacks deserve credit as well, because particularly young Archie Gray, who continues to look completely unfazed about being a 17-year-old, playing out of position for one of the biggest clubs in the country. And then Junior Furpo as well, hasn't always convinced lead supporters, but has been really good since being reintroduced back into the fold and has now got a very good chant next to his name as well. And I think Daniel Farker, of course, deserves credit for this because no, he's not always a manager you associate with clean sheets, is he? And his Norwich side of 2019 had the eighth best defensive record despite winning the league so comfortably. Mm. But they're proving to be incredibly hard to break down and that defence is one of the reasons why they're bearing down on the automatics. It's all going very well for Leeds United. Be interesting to see if they can continue this winning streak. They've got a couple more winning games coming up as well before Leicester at home in two weeks' Tasty. time. That is a game I really want to see right now. Speaking of Leicester, they continue to dominate. They made it three wins in a row after a 2-1 victory away at Watford. Fataru's LFC, LCFC's three-word review. Survival mathematically confirmed. Good. Um, an absolute clangor in this one from Harry Winks. But overall, another solid win for Enzo Maresca's boys. They remain 11 points clear at the top of the championship. Ridiculous, really, that you've got a team who's gone 22 games unbeaten, won 54 points mm-hmm. from an available 66, and they're still 11 points behind the league leaders. Remarkable. But that rounds up the promotion race. Justin, we'll have a quick break and then we'll discuss the rest of the business in the Championship, including Stoke City's annual meltdown. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program. Welcome back to the Second Tier Podcast, and it's now time for us to check out how our Second Tier Multiple with SBK got on, which includes our Game of the Week, as well as just a nice two bankers from Friday's episode. So we had Southampton and Hull to win, Blackburn v Stoke to be a draw, but so no luck for us this week. Just the one correct, but we'll be back again with another multiple in this coming Friday preview show with SBK. I'm sure we'll get one at some point this season, Justin, surely. <laughs> anyway, let's discuss one of those games now. Blackburn v Stoke ended 3-1 to Rovers. Joseph's three-word review very much improved. Dave says back to basics. Uh, Lee says what we needed. Adam says Eustace is class. And it was Blackburn's first game since appointing John Eustace. Literally announced less than 24 hours before this game. And it was a big match to be thrown into, wasn't it? Of course, our game of the weekend for a reason, because both teams have been so out of form that they've been looking over their shoulder in recent weeks. However, it was Blackburn who came out the winner and feels a lot brighter already than it did just a matter of days ago, Justin, doesn't it? Incredible. Yes, it's amazing what a couple of results, or I say a couple of results, a good performance can do. Because as I say, the first half or first 20, 30 minutes, they were brilliant. It's the sort of Blackburn you've you've expected to see, or I've wanted to see more often in terms of going forwards and, and not letting up um, you know, that attacking intent. And then the second half, they had to weather a storm. Stoke got back into it. They had the penalty as well, saved. Um, Daniel Johnson missing a penalty is something not I'm not mm. too too familiar with. So you know, when Luke's going with you, you need it. And Blackburn took it and they saw the game out as well. And that was a big thing because I think if Stoke would have got that, um, if, if they would have scored that penalty, they, they you know they could have the game could have swung in their, in their favour because they've got a lot of attacking in uh, quality. At, well, I say attacking quality. They they create chances. Stoke create chances. They have the they? habit. They have a <laughs> habit of creating chances but not putting them away. Um, they occasionally so, score a goal. They, they sometimes score. Sometimes don't. Sometimes maybe good, sometimes maybe shit. Most of the time shit. Anyway. A lot of shit. <laughs> Slightly distracted from Blackburn, but I guess what I'm trying to say is they 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 did what they needed to do in this game that they haven't done for months. Um, and I'm not saying that's because of Thompson's left. It could be down to a lot of things, but um, it's a good, it's a really good starting foundation for John Eustace. Well, Yondal Thomason liked to be very possession heavy, didn't he? But yeah. they were noticeably more direct here and it worked a treat. But I think it suits a lot of the players like your Sam Gallagher's, your Tyree Stolens, 
maybe that was something Thomason was a bit guilty of, not willing to be a bit more flexible. But whatever the case, a very promising start to the John Eustace era. And we were both encouraged by the performance, uh, by the performance appointment, I suppose performance we were, um, but appointments anyway, mm. uh, weren't we? And the new manager bounce might be enough to stave off any relegation fears if this is the start of any sort of form for them. And I mean, I, I was, it was looking a bit troubling before, but, you know, Wednesday were the only other side in the bottom eight who won this weekend and Blackburn are now seven points from safety. So it's funny how quickly things can change, isn't it? So it's looking a lot more positive for Blackburn and, you know, John Eustace coming in, Let's see if he can work his magic that we saw at Birmingham earlier in the season. Um, so it's looking very positive for Blackburn, not for Stoke City. Danny's three-road review. League One Potters, Scott says, really getting worried. And it's now four straight losses and the players were seen off the pitch to deafening chance of you're not fit to wear the shirt from the travelling Stoke support. And we... <sighs> We've had similar moments like this in previous seasons with Stoke, haven't we, Justin? But is this their lowest point since getting relegated from the Premier League? Because, I mean, I'm fully aware it could get worse in the coming weeks, but this is pretty bad, isn't it? It's really bad. Um, let's not paint over it. It is um, whew, as close to the you know, relegation to the third tier as, as, they can, as they've been in, in their previous years, I think. One thing I, I will point out quite early on in this point is that uh, Michael O'Neill deserves a fair bit of credit for getting what he got out of Stoke with the mess they were in. I think things did get away from him a little bit, um, and and I think he was rightly uh, he did right he did leave at the right time. But I think he deserves a fair amount of credit for managing what he did with what is essentially a mess above him. Um, and Stephen Schumacher is firing that out, and he's not ex- as experienced as the likes of Guy Rao, Alex Neil, and Michael O'Neill. Um, and I've seen a lot of fans suggest that Schumacher needs to walk, um, but I think we're just going to be sat in a position where we're just starting again. We're going through the same rigmarole over and over again. I'm not saying a relegation will um, be a good thing for Stoke because I don't think it's a good thing for any any football club. Um, but they need a big reset. They need a big wake up call, and this might be it. This might be it. They've had they've had moments in the past few years where it should have been the case, and it hasn't. But Again, if you're pointing the fingers towards Schumacher after this, I think it's unfair. Because again, the way the players defended in this game was abysmal. It looked like a team that was down. It looked like a team that was down. It looked like a. Uh, it sounded like a you know a set of supporters who were done with their football club. It's um yeah it's it's a recipe for relegation, unfortunately. Yeah, well, it's quite interesting looking at Stoke Twitter because it seems supporters don't know where to aim their anger. So they're just blasting it at everyone. And I've seen loads saying it's the players. Many are saying the owners. And I'm the same as you, Justin. I've seen loads aiming their ire at Stephen Schumacher, even though he's been there less than two months. And I think the best summary I can give with Stoke is all the ingredients are there, but no one knows what they're making. Because Stephen Schumacher's a talented young manager, but he's one of a number of talented managers who have been through the doors at Stoke and struggled. And there's some very good players at Stoke. And a fair bit of money has been spent as well. However, the, the, the recruitment has been very scattergunny. And we, we said it earlier in the season, we've been proved right, pure and simple. There, there doesn't seem to be a long-term plan for getting this club going in the right direction again. And that's where the owners have to take the blame here. I can't see what they're trying to do. And yes, they've put a lot of money into the club over the years. They've been there a long time. But the club is regressing badly. And they are in serious danger of becoming a League One side. And if it doesn't happen this season, it could very well happen next season, Justin, because I don't see what they're trying to do to reverse this trend. 
No, you're, you're absolutely spot on. You're absolutely spot on. It's, you say there's no long-term plan, and I agree with you, but I actually don't think there's a plan at all. I think it's just let's throw a bit of money at it and see where we go. And that's what it feels like. Yeah. I mean, you've only got to look at Ryan Mai as an example, brought in in the summer, pretty good goal-scoring record at Varen Carveris. He's been out of the side recently. He's had some disciplinary issues that Schumacher's fronted and, uh, and, and Namai's fronted as well. And it's just, if you're not signing the right players to both fit personality-wise into the into the squad and quality as well, yeah, you're on to a loser. You're on to a loser. And frankly, that's the reason why the, the club's in there. The situation it's in is because they've not got recruitment right. They spent far too much money. They've handicapped themselves viciously. Um, and unfortunately, they're now paying paying the dividends for that. And the dividends could well be a relegation to um, to League One. Um, I also want to point out that I hope that Potamus hasn't received any flack. If, if the Stoke fans are hitting flack everywhere, I hope Potamus has managed to dodge it. Potamus being the club mascot, who is a massive hippo. Um, <laughs> that's not an insult. He's just... It's, it's, a, it's, it's um, a hippo. But back, back on to Stoke, and this is the final point we'll make, Justin, is... I thought this would be the season where Stoke might change because mm-hmm. they made a series of changes behind the scenes, didn't they, back in the summer yep. of, you know, I can't remember the exact job roles they were given, but it, we're talking like people who are in charge of recruitment, that kind of thing. And here we are where it's just seemingly got worse. So that's why there needs to be some sort of a plan. If there is a plan, it's clearly not being implemented very well. And that's why Stoke are in serious, serious danger of potentially being in League One for the first time in, oh God, you're talking at least 20 years, aren't you? Yeah. So that's why this is a desperate situation. And I'm not sure if it will be turned around this season. That's how worrying it is. It is a big few days for Stoke, by the way. Who have they got on Wednesday? QPR at home. And that is absolutely must win, isn't it? If not, we could also hear record-breaking boos coming from the Bet365. Sheffield Wednesday boosted their survival chances on Friday night by beating Birmingham 2-0. Lomas's three-word review, the great escape. I will say, I'm not sure I've seen a team have 25 shots before and look so unlikely to score as Birmingham City did here. I mean, it doesn't help when they start Scott Hogan up front. He was awful. But fair play to Wednesday. A big win, which is great news for the big believer, Justin Peach. What did I tell you? What did I tell you? There's a chance. There's a chance they're fighting. And that is exactly the sort of response that was needed after the Huddersfield game. There is juice in this team. There is juice. And it is getting juicier by the week, I, I believe there's. I can't really say that. Again, looking at the chances, they they did get in the better areas um, in this game. Look at that uh, uh, the goal at the back post, for example. Um, but they're scrapping, they're scrapping, and that's what you can do. That's what you can do when you're down there is you scrap and you make it ugly and you make it hard, and that's what they did. They made it difficult for Birmingham, and um, yeah, I, I'm a firm believer of the uh, the Wednesday staying up um, oracle. Or whatever it is. <laughs> I enjoyed the brief moment in your head there where you were trying to think of how you round off this sentence and Oracle was the first thing. It's not Oracle. It's not even mind. Oracle. I, it, it's, uh, I don't know. I don't know. There's a, there's a glow coming from Wednesday and I'm a moth and I'm heading towards it. Great. That's that's better. I'll take that. Um, I mean, I mean, they showed they're not going to rule over and accept relegation. Um 
Yeah, he's better than Oracle. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, it, it, it's still looking pretty bleak for them. And the odds certainly aren't in their favour for staying up. But they've got a bit of fight about them. They always have done under Danny Rule, haven't they? It's just when you look at the table, it doesn't really support the facts about them actually being able to stay up. But fair play to them. And if they keep battling as the season goes on, then they've got a chance, haven't they? Because yeah. as we've alluded to, there are certainly some teams hovering above the relegation zone who are massively, massively struggling. But it is back-to-back losses for Birmingham. Now, just three points above the drop zone. They're a team who aren't struggling as much as other sides, but they're not in great licks themselves. So should we be worried about them, Justin? I don't think we should. I think you look at this game in isolation. They got into good areas, but they just lacked due care with the final ball. And I think that was the big thing. And I think that's going to be the big thing in terms of maybe turning things around because they've not had an easy run of games by any means. I mean, Swansea... The draw was 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 a good comeback. They beat Stoke, then obviously lost to West Brom, and then lost this one. It's a it's, it's a disappointing one, but they played against teams who have got something to play for. If that makes sense, I think it's always going to be difficult um, finding momentum when you're a new manager in those circumstances. So, I think if they almost replicate what they did in this game, defend better, and you know take more care of the ball in the final third, they will get more results than um, than they won't. So, no, I'm not I'm not worried. I, I'm I'm pretty confident. I'm pretty confident for them. Yeah. Well, so am I. So am I. I'm not worried about them. That's chiefly because I just can't foresee a Tony Mowbray team going down <laughs> for the life of me. I mean, it just gives me that kind of aura that Sam Allardyce did when he was at a relegation threatened Premier League side, even though he actually did get relegated with with West Brom. But nobody ever talks about that when they're talking about, you know, Sam Allardyce will keep a team up. But I can't see Tony Mowbray getting relegated. And that's before you even get onto the actual talent in this squad. I mean, Christian Bielik, Jay Stansfield, Ethan Laird, Siriki Dembele, these are players who really should be playing for a top-half championship side. The problem is they've all had a pretty confident sapping experience in working under yeah. Wayne, Wayne Rooney. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I can, I can almost guarantee that over time they'll start moving in the right direction under Captain Mobes. So I'm not worried about them at all, even though the table does paint up Rather concerning picture, admittedly. In the Justin Peach derby, Sunderland beat Plymouth 3-1. 1,200 Plymouth fans made the 423-mile journey for this one, which is exactly what Justin Peach will be doing this summer once his predictions let him down finally. 423 miles, Justin. That's only one way, by the way. Yeah, yeah. This was a game that reminded me, and I got a few comments on Twitter reminding me that this is what I could win. If I lose, so fantastic. Thank you, listeners. Piss off. <laughs> what do you mean, if you lose? Um, sure. I mean, I mean <laughs> come on. There's fighting me like there's fighting Wednesday, matey. Come on. Okay. I've got much more confidence in Wednesday staying <laughs> up than you winning at this point. But I mean, the standard of goals in this game was remarkable. Each one was a thing of beauty. I particularly enjoyed Ryan Hardy's oh, for Plymouth. Yeah, I thought he messed it up at least twice mm. before taking the shot. And then that dink was gorgeous. But I tell you what, he's had a very impressive season, hasn't he? The, he- the headlines at Plymouth have often been stolen by Morgan Whitaker, And rightly so. But 11 goals and four assists. Hardy has been fantastic. And I wasn't really expecting it, Justin. No, I, I, he's a player that I rate really highly. I think I, if I remember rightly, going back to an episode at the start of the season when we were predicting our golden boot, Ryan Hardy was a name that I mentioned as a, as, a, as a possible contender. Now, I don't think he will get the golden boot, but I think he's got goals in him. 
He's a good goal scorer, he's a good finisher, and he's great in the box. And, and fair play to him as well, because he's been brilliant since Ian Foster came in. Um, yeah, he's a player I really enjoy. And I think he's a, he's a good he's a good focal point for Plymouth, because he's unselfish as well. And uh, I think Morgan Whitaker's success is, you know, a lot can be attributed to the unselfishness that Hardy puts him with his runs in behind and the space that he creates for others. So, And he's got the composure, as we saw with this goal, because it's a very difficult yeah. goal to execute. Um, yeah, he's, he's a player that I really like. Yeah, I really like that point about him being one of the big reasons why Morgan Whitaker's had such a good season, Justin, because I think you're absolutely right. I think he has played a role in that. And going back to what I was saying, I didn't expect him to have a season anything near like what he's having because he only scored 13 in League One last season, which isn't a great tally by any means for a striker coming into the championship, particularly when he was playing for the team who got a near record-breaking mm -hmm. points tally last season. So I think I may have even said at the beginning of the season that Plymouth could do with signing a striker in place of Hardy. So I'll happily take that egg straight to my face because he's been great, not just scoring goals, but setting them up, running with the ball, pressing. He is one of the reasons why Plymouth are almost certainly staying up. They score a lot of goals, which is always a good start for avoiding relegation. And that's because they've got players like Hardy, Whitaker, etc., who are not afraid of putting the ball in the back of the net and can score some spectacular goals along the way, as we've seen with these two throughout the season. But Sunderland are back in the top six after this win. I wrote those notes down before Coventry's win, so actually they're not. They're seventh. Ignore everything I said. That is irrelevant. But it does feel like they've turned a corner under Mick Beale now a bit after a rocky few weeks. Yeah, we met them shifting a little bit. I think the big thing is they've become a harder team to break down, um, especially at home. They've, 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 they've really solidified themselves and I think that's a a good solid foundation to to build upon. So, got to give credit to Bill. He's uh, he's yeah he's slowly slowly turning it around. Uh, and perhaps we were looking a bit too short term at Bill and maybe getting caught up in the the fanfare, the fan frustration at his appointment. Uh, but as far as coaching credentials goes, you know he's got them. It's just whether or not he's got the personality to do it as well. Um, so hopefully he doesn't um, doesn't solidify something too much. But look, build from the back, go forwards, and yeah. So sure, some of them will start getting results and improving. Yeah, I'm not sure they've totally turned a corner. I think they're in the process of turning a corner. They, they, they've probably got the indicators on to, you know, they check the blind spot. make the manoeuvre. They've checked yeah. the blind spot. Yeah, they've checked the blind spot. They're about to do it, but um, there's just some cars coming the other way at the moment. But <laughs> I think the reason I say he's not totally turned the corner yet is because my instinct is that all it takes is a loss or two. And mm. I could easily see the Bill out brigade coming out in yeah. full force once again. But the best way to win around fans is by winning games. And they're unbeaten in three now. If that continues, then everyone will be questioning why they were so angry before. But you are right. Beal was a highly rated coach, did well at QPR before, you know, <laughs> throwing them under the bus. Um, and, uh, you know, being assistant at Villa and Rangers before that. Um, so he's a highly rated coach. He's working with a very good squad. So we should expect him to be getting some sort of success. And if not, then he really isn't. Um, the coach that many people were hoping he would be. By the way, the new season of Sunderland Till I Die, out on Tuesday. What a great week. Great week for Sunderland this is. And the final game we'll discuss this weekend is Hull nil Swansea 1. This was my banker of the weekend, so thank you to all the Swansea fans who notified me that I got it wrong. I wasn't aware until they let me know. It was really, really helpful. <laughs> Three-word review for Swansea. We actually won, and this was a game Hull should be winning. Really? Shunt it because aiming for the top six, signed all these exciting players in January. 
Swansea haven't had a great start under Luke Williams. So this is a missed opportunity, isn't it, Justin? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And it's no disrespect to Swansea, but Huller uh, at home, they're coming up against a team who've lost three on the bounce, conceding some goals as well. You'd expect with the Arsenal that was added in January for Hull for them to um, for them to test Swansea a little bit more, but they didn't. Um, and I think that's probably something that Rossini has got to got to get sorted very very quickly because January additions can make or break a season. And whilst they signed some really good players on paper, it's not quite clicked in the final third yet because they just don't create enough chances. That's a really frustrating thing for me because I'm a big advocate of Rossini and and Rossi ball, but last ten games I'm not. I'm not bowled over by it, not bowled over by it. So, yeah, need to create more, expect them to create more. And if they don't, they're going to stop getting results. Very simple thing to say. But you've got Coventry and Sunderland who are gathering a little bit of a little bit of momentum at the right time, potentially. Yeah, well, I mean, it's all well and good us praising call for their amazing transfer window, but it doesn't mean squat, does it, if they don't actually finish in the top six? And that'll be quite disappointing for Hull if they just peter out their hopes of finishing in the top six and it falls down to Coventry or Sunderland to actually, you know, finish in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, I, I think, considering the players they brought in, surely it will get better over time, but you shouldn't be losing at home to Swansea. It's just plain and obvious, really, unfortunately. That is that is a game that they should be winning. And not only have they cost me in my predictions, um, but they've cost themselves a pretty simple three points that they should be getting. And, you know, hopefully that these kind of things will be ironed out as time goes on. But they should be doing better, really, shouldn't they? Yeah, might I add before, in the Swansea circumstances with the results they've been having, it's not because it's Swansea, just before you get some some ferocious criticism come your way. I don't care, mate. Just mute notifications. It's fine. Um, let's do the polls, Justin. This is the part of the show where we give the listeners three questions on Twitter because we want to get their thoughts on everything to do with the championship. So the first one is this. I feel like we just ask this every so often because it's just so fascinating to see what the listeners think. But who's finishing second? Ipswich, Leeds, Southampton. Southampton. At the moment, you've got to say Southampton, yeah. haven't you? You, you simply have to. 65% of people said Southampton, 28% said Leeds, only 7% said Ipswich. Poor Ipswich. I really hope it comes down to that final game of the season. That is that is just going to be a game for the ages, that, isn't it? Basically a playoff final, isn't it? Um, how would you rate Blackburn's appointment of John Eustace? Brilliant, very good, okay, bad. Very good, very good's fair. It's not brilliant. It would be brilliant if they got someone else. That is yeah. a brilliant coach. I don't know where I'm going. I would say it. very good. I'm kind of on the. I'm kind of in the middle of very good and okay. I think. Fifty-five um, percent of people said very good. Thirty percent said okay. Twelve percent said brilliant. Three percent said bad. And finally, who's winning the Super Bowl? Chiefs or Forty ers Everyone's a winner, Ryan. Everyone's a winner. But I want Forty ers to win to stick it to Taylor Swift and a carbon emission ways. <laughs> I like T Swizzle. So who who does her boyfriend play for again? The uh, Chiefs. Chiefs. I want the Chiefs to win. Come on, the wow. Chiefs. Fifty six percent of people said forty niners. Forty four percent said the Chiefs. Um, so there you go. Now it's time for this. Hi, Simon Grayson Edge. Yeah, 
guess it's time for Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight. So Justin is going to ask me to name eight of a certain subject. All I've got to do is name all eight. So for example, if he would say, name Steve Bruce's last eight clubs, I would say Villa, that's one down. Newcastle, another down. But if I were then to say Weymouth, I would lose a life. All I need to do is give all eight answers without losing all of my lives. And you can get involved in the fun by sending in your Hateful Eights for either Justin and I to answer. Send them into secondtierpod at gmail.com and you could get a shout out the next time we do a Hateful Eight. Alternatively, just play along at home. Let us know how many you get. Who is this hateful eight from Justin? This one's from Mike Miller. He sent one in that was similar. Um, so I've decided to make it a little bit harder. But okay. fair enough, Mikey. Thank you for sending it in. And I might use yours in, in the future. But I decided to jazz it up a little bit. All right. Fine. Didn't realise Mike's work wasn't good enough for you. How many lives are you giving me? I'm giving you three lives. Okay. It's a tricky one. So I want you to name for me the eight most popular nationalities in the championship excluding the home nations of England, Wales, and Northern Ireland. Okay. Well, I mean, this should be obvious. But is it? And I'll start off with France. Correct. They are third on the list. They've got 16 players playing in the championship. Only third? Only third, Ryan. Only third. So when you say the home nations, I'm guessing we're not counting Ireland in that. We're not counting Ireland that because they're not a home nation. So Ireland. <laughs> yes, correct. 53. They've got 53 it, Irish nationals. It took me a while to process yeah, that. <laughs> I, I am not going to get caught in this geopolitical uh, okay, okay. aspect of uh, yeah, counting Ireland as a home nation. Um, are they first, are they? They are first. They are top. Okay. Okay. Cool. Fine. Good. I reckon Portugal are quite high in there. I'll give you Portugal. They are tied last. They are tied eighth. Um, really? Okay. So I'll give you them ahead of the other two teams. So you don't need to worry about those those other teams. You might guess Thank them you. anyway. But yeah, Portugal are eighth on this list. They've got eight players playing in the championship. Higher than that. Eight. Eight. You've got five left to guess. I mean, eight is quite a high bar for the team that's last in this list. I reckon there must be a few Dutchmen in the championship. You're correct. There are quite a few Dutchmen, 21 to be exact. They are second in this list. Second. Second. Right, if the barrier, if the bar is eight, then I think there must be more than eight Danish people in the championship. There are more than eight Danish people playing in the championship. There are 11. They are fourth on my list. You've got, you're doing well. You're going well, Ryan. You've got three left to guess. Okay. I've not said Spain yet. You haven't. Spain must be in there. They are not. You have lost a life. Really? Yes. Wow, okay. That I, is hard. I've not, wow, got, okay. I've not got the number in front of me, sadly. Um, see, the next obvious one is Germany. But I'm struggling to name many Germans in the championship. So I might just leave them off the table for okay. now. Eight. Eight Belgians in the championship? You've lost another life, Ryan. Oh, really? Wow, okay. Um, I've got one life left. You've got one life left. I was going to say Americans. The more than eight Americans in the championship? Go on, I'll throw America in there since it's the Super Bowl. You are correct. Yes, good. You've got one. You've got one. You've got two more left to guess. Um... Go on, I'll say Germany, but I'm not sure it's right. It's incorrect. 
Yeah, I didn't think there were that many Germans in the championship. That's annoying. That's your last life. It is, yeah. Yeah. Um, fine. Well, there you go. Sam and Grace take for late. Unfortunately, I've fallen foul this week. Um, but there we go, ladies and gentlemen. Um, I don't think I would have ever said Nigeria, so I'm not that disappointed in that. But there you go, ladies and gentlemen. That's been Sam and Grace and take for late. This has been the Second Tier Podcast, and we shall be back again on Thursday because we've got midweek games in the championship. So we'll go through those on Thursday. So we look forward to bloody seeing you then. But as always, if you won't mind giving us a five-star review on whichever podcast platform you listen to us on, helps us go a long way to growing as a podcast. So if you would take five seconds of your time to do that, we would greatly appreciate it. Until Thursday, I hope you have a wonderful few days. And this has been the Second Tier Podcast. I've been Ryan Dilks. I've been Justin Peach. And a big thank you for listening. Second Tier is a Stack production and part of the ACAST Creator Network. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.